0: Stay in the know with Radio Two Thousand podcast. We've got a sibling that fraudulently changed the title deed, removed the siblings, added him and his wife, and the sister is just like, "But how do you do that? How do you do it? Do that?" Alma Gumbo, who is a fiduciary consultant, joins us this morning. Hey, Alma. Alma, can you hear me? Good morning. Okay, we're going to try and get her back on the line. While we do that, let me give you the actual details of the story and uh, so that you can know exactly what it is that we're talking about and why Alma joins us on, uh, on the line. So this is the email. My brother... My brother, my late brother rather, bought a vacant stand for my late mother when she got her pension money. She started building and was sadly robbed by the construction company. My other brother then took over with the building of the house. In the middle of all of that, he bought his own house. I then got my first ever job, my, my brother, then said I must stay at our mother's house because he had just bought his house. He also instructed me to continue with the building of our mother's house i did exactly that i took out loans and i never enjoyed my salary i finished building the house and then bought my children a home i rented out my mother's house so that i could it could rather assist me with paying my bond my brother then said he's selling his house and wants to move back home i was okay with that he asked me to give my tenants notice It was all fine the problem now is that my brother went behind our backs and asked my little sister to steal my late brother's id book before he passed away in documents he said my late brother had mental challenges he changed the ownership of the house to his into his own name together with his wife without consulting any of us please assist me with this can i get my money back how could he change ownership? Because my brother was sick. Who signed for my brother? And we also want our share because it is our mother's home. We've got Alma on the line. Alma, so I just read the, um, the letter. There's a lot going on. But I think if, it, if we boil it down to the essence of what Anonymous um, is saying, it's a case of fraud. Someone uh, stole an ID book changed the title deed excluded the other siblings added himself and the wife what do you make of anonymous's story alma Uh,
1: first i just want to sympathize uh, with anonymous It is sad what she and her siblings are going through. It is very unfortunate. However, it is not uncommon Mm. uh, in Black families, in our communities. I think we've heard this story a lot of times uh, in different variations. But uh, before we get into the technicalities, I just felt it important that I do express my sympathies uh, with Anonymous and her family. As a starting point, right? she wants to know does she have a claim
0: Mm.
1: right and before we can get into the nitty gritties of everything I just wanted to for us to go through the general rule yes right so my understanding here is that although Umama used her pension proceeds uh, to build the property the land was bought by the late brother yes it was was in his name right so as a general rule the moment you build any building on someone else's property or land, that building automatically becomes their property since it's fixed to the land. Okay. And the building cannot be owned separate to the land. So it becomes an accessory or sorts uh-huh. of the land. Right. That's to say, even if the intention or the understanding was that This house is going to be mama's legacy. This is going to be our family home. Strictly speaking, it belongs to the deceased brother, right? Mm -hmm. Then, at face value, yes, the listener can claim or does have a claim, right? At the very least, for reimbursement of the costs, that she contributed towards the building of this property. Mm. But it's not as outright and as straightforward as that. Because from the story or the text that she sent us, there are a number of factors and clues there that will become relevant when this matter is looked into further, Mm. right? Yes, at the very least, like I've said, it can be argued that the brother who fraudulently transferred the property was unjustifiably enriched right since mm-hmm. she contributed towards the building yes. of the property with the understanding that she would have some kind of use and enjoyment of the property and potentially part ownership of the property mm. right but but we have to take note that at some point the listener was receiving rental income from the property and at some point she stayed there free of charge as well yes. that in itself is use and enjoyment so even when she does claim unjustified enrichment or reimbursement of her, of the monies that she Contributed towards the building of this property, these are factors that will be taken into account. Yeah. Right. As this will be considered some kind of benefit. So. In essence, yes, she can claim, she can, but remember he who alleges must prove. So if we are alleging fraud, we have to, she has to now provide the proof to support the claim because the claim in itself, even if at face value, it appears that there was fraud. If we don't have substantial evidence to support that claim, we're as good as never having made a claim.
0: Sure, but now what should she do from here on?
1: Uh So, first things first, I do advise the listener to please, please, please consult uh, with the legal practitioner. If she's not able to afford uh, consultation fees and all of that, she has to approach legal aid, where she can receive assistance for free, or she can visit one of the law clinics uh, at a local university near her Where there's LLB being offered as a course and they have a legal clinic, she can receive assistance mm. or she can approach one of the legal NGOs that operate within her area and she will be guided on what to do, right? But just going back to her story, right? I do feel that it is a bit in- ambiguous. However, however, it is important for us to take note of the time of transfer of the property because that will determine what kind of solutions will be available or what kind of legal remedies will be applicable to this matter i see by way of example right if say for example the property was transferred before death of the brother Mm -hmm. and if indeed he was mentally incapacitated as alleged by the brother who has unfairly benefited from this property we would have to prove a number of things right we would need to know was this a sale or was it a donation right was the transfer done before or after the listener contributed funds to the construction of the house right and if really really he was of unsound mind at that time what proof is there did a, a, a doctor or a specialist conduct uh, checks on him? And if this is so, we want to see that medical report. And subsequent to receiving that medical report, was he placed under a curatorship in terms of the Mental Health Care Act? Who is the appointed administrator? Where is the consent of the master uh, in the curatorship section at the master's office who consented to the sale of this property? What motivation was given by the administrator mm-hmm. or the or the person appointed over the affairs of this brother who is now mentally incapacitated when requesting consent of the master to sell the property. Yo. right so it's a lot of things that we need to it's a lot of things that we need to look into right so who signed these transfer documents on behalf of this brother right and then if the transfer was done after date of death that in itself brings forth a different set of questions and considerations that we must look into mm. for example was his estate reported right and if so, if the estate was reported, was the transfer done in accordance with the law as it relates to testate or interstate succession, right? If say, for example, this father who now passed away died without a will, mm. oh, then we need to know, is he, survived, is he survived by a spouse, by children? Did he pass away whilst one of his parents or both of his parents were still alive? In which case, those that one or a few of those people in that group would potentially be as in this estate. If say, for example, he passed away and he was not survived by a spouse, children, or his parents, then it means that all his siblings, including this skebenu here, this potential skebenu (laughs) here, were meant to inherit this property in equal shares. So that in itself then brings about a different set of questions that we now need to consider, right? What was written in the next of kin affidavit at the master's office when the estate was reported? so as to exclude the other siblings from their potential benefit. If indeed he did uh, lie on the next of kin affidavit, we want to know who is the appointed administrator of this estate. And now that the the property has been transferred to him, how then does he intend to balance out his siblings? Because if it was done in the normal course of events, a redistribution agreement would have had to be concluded and then in exchange for the benefit or full ownership of the property he would have had to level out his siblings by giving them the cash equivalent of their interest in Mm, that property mm. so he's still you see but how we approach the solution will be dependent on how the listener answers all of these questions and the kind of evidence that we have so i highly highly encourage you to please approach a legal practitioner and seek further further guidance because we can't answer this one straight out.
0: Yeah. Alma, in the beginning of our conversation, you said this is very common, particularly in Black uh, families. What is your advice to listeners so that they can avoid all of this. Let's just say we're planning on building a house for Rumah and it is a group mm-hmm. project. There's three of us and our intentions are good and we want to buy, to build a house for Rumah. How, mm-hmm. wh- how can we do that so that later on we don't have this very same situation where we are now fighting and we are calling each other we are calling each other igeben.
1: Mm, mm, I love your question first and foremost it's important for us to know that word of mouth is just that it's word of mouth right and it will not hold much or have much substance unless and until it is translated into writing Mm. and in in things such as property ownership it's very important to establish from the outset who owns the land. If I am contributing towards the building of this property, what are my benefits? And they need to be set out properly and definitively so that everybody knows what it is they stand to gain and what is at risk. Because it's all fair and fine to say we want to protect the legacy of our parents or we want Umama, you know, to have the house of her dreams that we promised when we were young. It's beautiful but let us make sure that the nitty gritties and the legalities are always taken care of there are a number of options that can be explored right if there's sufficient uh, liquidity then we can say for example that perhaps let's explore the the option of a trust Mm. right if you do have sufficient funds to cater for a trust if you don't then let's see are we buying the property jointly you know each of us, we contribute so that our names are on the title, yeah. but then what do we do when one of us gets married or one of us is, becomes insolvent or one of us passes away because then their portion of the property mm-hmm. or their share in the ownership of the property will then pass down to their beneficiaries. Are we ready for, for the for the consequences of convoluted ownership? and the the continued exposure. So you always, your starting point should always be to consult. The intention is noble and we will not take away from that. However, whatever it is that you want to do that could have long-term and unforeseen consequences, we always encourage you that the first step to go and see a legal practitioner then we'll be able to articulate these things properly to avoid these kind of uh, fallouts in
0: future on that note where can we get your contact details because clearly you are well versed when it comes to such issues because we don't want squabbles when our intentions were to give uma or our parents a home but now there's other complicated things where can we get a hold of you alma
1: uh, we are Lazara Attorneys Incorporated, and we are located at 47 Collard Drive in Ilovo Extension 1, Johannesburg. Our office number is 011-880-7595. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 7595,
0: got it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Alma. Hey, Aishem, you you put clarity on this whole situation. <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> Anytime. And thank you for having me. And thank you to the listeners at
0: home it's for always, tuning in. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Radio 2000 Podcast.